0: Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos in Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanish. stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Hoy me acompaña Héctor Garza. Héctor Garza is a flourishing independent artist and a dedicated educator in San Antonio for the last 20 years. Garza has a BA in art with a minor in music from Our Lady of the Lake University a master's in education from the University of Notre Dame, and an MFA in painting from Savannah College of Art and Design, and recently completed his qualifying exams and submitted his proposal for defense in uh, his doctoral program. Um, uh, program um, in the Institute for Doctoral Studies in Visual Arts. He currently works as an art instructor at Incarnate Word High School. Bienvenido a este episodio, Héctor. Gracias,
1: Elena. Es un placer.
0: Héctor, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that um, you were born in Mexico, Mm -hmm. but you grew up here in South Texas. So tell us about that.
1: So I was born in Ciudad Acuña, Coahuila. El Barrio del Panteón. That's what it was called. Mm-hmm. And it's super cool. And at three years old, my mom and dad took us to Del Rio, Texas. They saw the situation that they were living in Mexico and wanted something better for us. Mm-hmm. So they took us there. And since I was three... I was going to school, but also on the weekends, we would go back to Acuña. And it was every other weekend going back and forth mm-hmm. to visit family that were still there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we would celebrate birthdays, different holidays in Acuña with our family, and then we'd come back. So it was always that, always back and forth, mm-hmm. crossing that bridge and showing our, our micas. As they would call them. Así. <laughs> um,
0: no había escuchado esa palabra <laughs> in a while. Micas, <laughs> yeah. Micas. Ten,
1: ya tienen las micas. Sáquenlas. Uh, uh-huh. um, right. And they would ask us, uh, ¿qué tienen para declarar? What do you have to declare? We'd always say, medicinas, tacos. <laughs> uh, because we would go to the doctor. Right. En Acuña. And so I've lived in that reality of being from these two places. Mm, two different languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I in kindergarten, the language of English was very easy
2: mm-hmm.
1: to kind of get, mm-hmm. and but at home it was all Spanish. So all high school, mm, tons of quinceañeras.
2: <laughs> and
1: that's that's that was the life in the border town.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was very small, and my grandmother lived there too. So and then our uncles, um, and every. When the cosecha, right, because they were migrant farm workers, Mm -hmm. they would leave to Illinois
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and go to the the orchards, the tanner orchards, and they would work there for that season. And then we'll come back and they would have tons of apples, Mm -hmm. apple cider. And at first, I didn't understand what that meant for them to that they were migrant farm workers. They would leave, mm-hmm. and they would say "vamos a los trabajos." I never really understood what that kind of work was,
2: right?
1: And um, who they were working for. But they sacrificed a lot. That that was also something of a revelation to me of the the family that I was from, the idea of of the ganas for a better for a better life,
2: right.
0: You know, that um, it's I also didn't realize, right, how um, unique um, of the Borderlands was to um, growing up on the Borderlands to just cross, you know, go back and forth because for shopping or for visiting family or, um, you know, I I often also... um, so people or knew of people that were leaving for a period of time to go for the harvest, right? For the harvest season. And um, and that reality, right, of our communities, like sometimes mostly were men that left for a while, you know, and then came back. And and so that irse al norte, no? A la cosecha was very, very common. And I didn't really think about that because um, it was just normal, right? Uh, when you live there until later on that I was like, hmm.
1: Even in school, hmm. high school, I'd see some students and then they would be gone for long periods of time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then come to find out that they were also right. migrant farm workers, that they would leave with their families to work. It was a way of existing in the world mm-hmm. of where the the work was. And they still um, work For these um, tenor orchards, they've really created a a relationship with these um, owners of the farms and Mm -hmm. um, they kind of moved up um, in the ranks of what their um, jobs are there Mm -hmm. to really trust them. And and I know that's not the same for every other migrant story. Some of those stories are much more filled with hardships Mm -hmm. uh, that that they're still seen as just hands to pick. Right. Not as people with stories and families and the idea that they have to travel and sacrifice so much.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it, it, it just opened up my eyes to what, what that was when they said the the phrase, vamos a los trabajos, mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to see my uncles or my grandma for a number of months. Mm-hmm. And that was for a couple of years. Right. Um, that, 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 that they did that. It's always revealing right. when you. You visit, for example, your abuelita's house. And, and I would always look at old photo albums. I don't even know if they exist anymore, if people even keep them, because we're a, well, digital. a technological, <laughs> digital right? You know, world where we take pictures. And we have thousands of them, but they stay there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you post it, right, on social media, but the idea of a picture as artifact. Mm-hmm. So when I would visit my grandmother, I would get her photo albums and just go through the pages. Mm
0: -hmm. And the stories, And the stories with Mm -hmm. each one.
1: And I would say, who is this? And what was happening here? Mm -hmm. So it's almost um, looking at those as artifacts.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Héctor, you are an educator. Mm -hmm. And by the way, last year your um um altares um at the I
1: did last year was the Pearl right? the community. But one. you
0: won, right? The community um a community altar. Right. Um, and it was it was powerful, right? It was the, yes. uh the desks um honoring the the children and the teachers that died at Uvalde, Texas. So your work as an artist is it's a is really connected to the community and really powerful all at once. And the fact that your students worked on that as well. So that uh, congratulations. Thank for you.
1: That I, altar that I um, at the Pearl really gave me a way of seeing community. I, I know the concept of community, mm-hmm. but with community comes a very complex um, array of emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm, when I was there... And setting everything up, the beauty of it was that um, people and their emotional response to it. Usually as an artist, we create work, we put it up in a gallery, and then it stays there for the viewer. Mm-hmm. And we never once interact with the viewer. Right. Because it's not for us, it's for the viewer. But we never have that connection we might be walking around the gallery at the opening, but I'm, I, I can't just stand there watching someone looking at my work. I'm talking to people. I'm moving around. Mm-hmm. For the altar as an installation, it became a very living. And towards the end of the night, people had added things to it. Mm-hmm. Whatever I had constructed, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. And that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Um, and, and, and people were coming in waves to look at the altar. What I took from that was that people carry their stories, people carry their memories. And the altars are that space, that entrance to express them. Um, the light, the environment, all the elements really of, of nature are present in, in, in an altar. And I just discovered so much about doing that kind of work for the community. Mm-hmm. And 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 you never know what the response is going to be. Right, right. And and you can you can affect people from different parts of the world because San Antonio is a conduit for different people that come and visit. So I had people from France that had lost someone. Mm-hmm. And they weren't able to go to France, but they put their image on the altar mm. and they would send pictures to their family and and France and they say, Look, um, we have a a, a an a friend and remembrance. Yeah. Mm. A gentleman would not leave. There was this guy, and um he was just standing there and 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 I'm I'm a person that when I see somebody um expressing very deep emotion, my first reaction is like to like try to like mm-hmm. console them or you know, just show them that I'm there
2: mm-hmm.
1: with their sentimiento. You never know if people are going to reject it. Right. Well, this man just welcomed it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he goes, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. You know, my wife and I would always come here together
2: mm-hmm.
1: and she should be here. Mm-hmm. And and it was just like he let it out. He let out his llanto. And I think in, in, a, in a culture, right? That's very, hombre no lloran. Mm. To see this man just release, it was a very beautiful thing.
2: Right.
1: It's almost like, you, you, ya no existe eso. Like, let it out. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. cares? This was your partner. Right. And this is a space. So it became more than a work of art.
0: Mm. That's great. Um, it was, yes, much it was much more. It was much more. Community, it was much more. Yeah. And people felt... Um, I guess, free to add to it, right? It's oh, they
1: changed things completely. Mm-hmm. They would bring things um, packed. Mm-hmm. But at night, it was just this this glow mm-hmm. of, of different intensities. Mm-hmm. So whenever I think of community, I, I have a whole different view of what community is. Right. Right. So when people say community engagement, I want to say, okay, be ready because... <laughs> that that response is going to be a spectrum of intensity. Right. It's unpredictable, too. Mm-hmm. It's unpredictable,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm.
1: but necessary.
0: Right, right. And thank you for allowing that space to be, right? And because I feel like you did the exhibit the insulation, but you were not necessarily protecting it, right? Like, this is how it stays. This is how it will remain. The community sort of added to it as well.
1: It's almost like I set the stage, for a performance, mm-hmm. I, I, I created a, um, I, I put in pieces, but not in a way that I said, this is the authoritative voice mm-hmm. people came and they put their own little velitas or little notes. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's
0: great. Um, Héctor, you are an educator an artist and a PhD student, like I mentioned, you're almost to the end. Almost. Which uh, congratulations! Thank you. Um, talk to us first about your journey into higher education. You've been in different places, even oh, yeah. the Midwest. So we have that in common.
1: Yes. So after high school, I was ready to leave. I Was ready to leave the small border town um, because I, in a, in a way, I felt as though. Our parents had sacrificed so much and you never can repay them. No one can. And tried to get as far as I could. So I, I remember not thinking that I would even get into college. I don't know why. I was just kind of very insecure, very unsure what was going to happen next, especially as as being queer in a Mexican family.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, grappling with so many of those things in my head. Like not really being yourself. So if you don't even know who you are, how do you even know where you want to go? Mm -hmm. So I wanted a small school. And all my life I wanted to go to um, Catholic school because I would see some of my friends. And it just seemed like the reality was very different versus a public school. But my parents didn't have the money to send me. Right. So I applied to Our Lady of the Lake. And... I visited the campus and it was beautiful. I was just drawn to this beauty of it. Um, and, and I studied art and music there. So when they say the undergrad experience is like your formative years, there is some truth in that. But I think the formativity is ever unfolding, ever present, everywhere. But it did give me, A lot of things that have helped me through spirituality, Mm. um, through the celebrations of traditions of of Mexican culture and being taught by some incredibly strong women, incredibly strong women that were super tough. (laughs) But I still remember them. Mm -hmm. And so from there, after that, I said, "Okay, I love art. This is what I'm going to graduate with. What jobs are there in art? And I remember asking this um, religious brother, um, the Congregation of Holy Cross, his name was Brother Mike. I said, Brother Mike, I know there's a school, right, that you guys have founded. Is there any art there or I'm just asking? He's like, you know, I'll ask. And, and he asked the, the principal. And I was called in. And the next thing I know is this man is putting a contract in front of me. And, and I was just saying, I love art. This is what I love to do. And I believe he also had family in Del Rio. And so he knew that experience of leaving that small nest and going to the big city. If I'm correct in this memory, they said, we want someone to bring the soul back to this art program. I mean, I was fresh out of college and I was like, well, Um, okay, I think I can do that. Didn't even know what that meant. (laughs) But I knew it was a tall order. Mm -hmm. And I was put in a room. It was like super messy from the past teacher that was there. There was instruments. It was just like a hot mess. And my friends, um, Lisa, Gabby, they, they helped me to clean it. And I made it in my classroom. Super dasquache! I didn't even know what rasquache was back then. <laughs> but now that I read it and it's like, it's you do what you have.
0: You're like, that was my classroom. <laughs> that was my classroom.
1: You know, you, you work with what you have. Mm-hmm. But it's still something great. Mm-hmm. And so I, I taught there. I taught art and I it was an all-boys school. They were necios. necios. Um, mm-hmm. But very um, good, hardworking students.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the end of the day, the families that I met with, the teachers that I built bonds with there. That was great. And in that process, we had two teachers who were in the ACE program. So the ACE program is like a Teach for America.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It's like a two-year program. You get sent to a school that needs teachers, and it's a master's of education. And talking to them and telling them that the way I teach, that I love this process of teaching, they were like, you know, you'd be perfect for that. You should check it out. He's like, it's all paid for. It's a fully funded scholarship program. Two years. Notre Dame. Notre Dame was never in my sights. (laughs) Never. El frío. El (laughs) frío. And I always um, saw Notre Dame as this like elite Mm -hmm. university. And so I thought about it. So I filled out the application. I had an interview at St. Edwards University. Super cold day. And I went to it. And I remember sitting in a hallway and there was like two other people next to me, real quiet. Yeah, I didn't see those people when, you know, the next step of, of getting accepted. But I went into the interview and I answered everything that I that was asked. And I remember taking a trip to Mexico and I made a promesa that, that I really wanted to to get this that I really wanted to be accepted when I got back from the trip it was an envelope and sure enough it was the acceptance letter and life changed after that
0: you went to another Catholic
1: I went to another Catholic universe. institution <laughs> it's almost like the Catholic Disney World right <laughs> um, and they called me and they said okay so we've accepted you we just want to ask you one more thing and this will determine Mm-hmm. What happens next? So I was like, "Hi, Dios santo. <sighs> okay. How do you feel about Oklahoma? I said, you know what? I've never been there. So I don't mind moving. And I said, yes. <laughs> and, you know, obviously I had to say goodbye to my friends for a little bit. But that was hard. Mm-hmm. Because I had, I had already been teaching for two years. Right. I was starting to make like... My own Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. Yes. And now I would have to say goodbye. And again, Notre Dame was never the dream, but it became. Mm -hmm. And so I packed up and the first experience was landing in an airport in South Bend, Indiana. (laughs) They call them puddle jumpers. So like you find a big one and then it's like a little one. <laughs> and I was like terrified because like shaking and like clanking, and I'm like, oh everything. You feel everything. And so I let and so I take a, a cab. I can still remember it. And I was running a little late. And so I have my suitcase, mis cosas, and I'm running through the quad. I'm running because I need to get there. It's the opening. Mm-hmm. Welcome. When I walk in, it's a sea of people. By then, they were they were going to have pizza. Like for everyone. Like, pero ya no había. <laughs> so I was like starving.
2: Sí. Tenía tanto
1: hambre. <laughs> but I also wanted to be like present to everything. And I remember sitting next to a girl that went to Boston College and another girl that went to Yale. And here I am. from El Barrio del Panteón, wearing an Our Lady of the Lake t-shirt, and thinking to myself, you deserve to be here just as much as they do. So aprende todo lo que puedas, learn as much as you can, y vámonos, let's do it. Because we're here. Mm -hmm. We're not turning back. It's just a sea of people who are in the same boat. Mm. That's my cohort. Mm -hmm. And it was... All walks of life, whether it was their dream or not. For me, it was the dream that I hadn't dreamt of yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was always there, but something activated it. So that that was Notre Dame. And then in Oklahoma, that's where I was. I was sent for my assignment. So I had to live there in community with like five other people. So It's like the real world, but (laughs) without the cameras. And it's Midwest City where I worked. Mm-hmm. And it was elementary, K three.
0: I know K3, where that K3. is. I know where that is. Yeah, Midwest City, Oklahoma, yeah.
1: and um, it was Spanish and religion that I had to teach. Mm-hmm. Those were the best two years of of teaching language and a part of my culture to these little children, um, and so I built community again. Mm-hmm. So, and then you moved again. And then I moved back. I moved back to San Antonio because. My family was in the Rio. I did, and they offered me, I was like, well, you're more than welcome to stay. You can keep your job. And I, said, mm, I made a promise. So I promised I would go back mm-hmm. to Holy Cross. And I did. Notre Dame was another space where it was like forming, but as an educator. Okay. Because that program put me in a space where it challenged all preconceived notions of what you thought was to, to be in community, to teach, how to teach, how to impart whatever you've learned to someone else, and maybe those students who learn differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was everything. Our Lady of the Lake gave me a sense of community and providence and friendships with the people that I met. Notre Dame also gave me deep connections to, to scholars and people and educators, but it also gave me to not have the fear yeah. to 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 access that space and and, and say, yo tambien merezco.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so then I went back, but then I wasn't satisfied yet because I feel like a master's of education, it's like hardcore education. That's what we study. That's what we built to do. But then at the same time, my art was... I wasn't making art because I was so busy reading and researching, you know, case studies and methodologies in education, pedagogy and all that. So I said, you know what? I want to go back to school and I want to just, it's art. I just want art. <laughs> so Savannah College of Art and Design, I was in a studio in San Antonio, the Hausman Mill Works and Rex Hausman. He's an artist. Um, he's... Um, the owner of the the studios. And so he was telling me about his experience in SCAD. Let me try it. So I applied for their program and um, it was through, it was e-learning. It was when e-learning first started to like get really like the thing. Yeah. And I didn't want to move. I didn't want to move. I was like, no, I don't have the money. I want to, but I still want to be learning. I still want to be getting something, new ideas. So I had some incredible professors there. There is a lot of value in working as an e-learner, not being in the space there, but in your own
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and drawing on the community that you're with. Very self-driven because no one's going to be around to tell you what to do. You have to stick to your schedule, stick to your deadline. You just monitor yourself more Mm -hmm. than when you have to go to class and you take that for granted. Did I miss being in a classroom in the reserve? Sure. But now it's like, I need to balance my work life in this Mm -hmm. because I want it. So it's always been a juggling act. And then after that, um, in the second, almost finishing my MFA, um, that's when life kind of hit me super hard. And my mom was diagnosed with cancer and it was stage four and it had already spread. So that was the most difficult, traumatizing mm-hmm. event. Your perception of reality starts to shake. It, it, your faith, mm-hmm. everything, everything stops. It's very weird. You go into this mode of survival or what do I do with the time I have I I moved literally my painting stuff to Del Rio in the kitchen, the living room we converted it that was going to be where her bed was going to be mm. and she had chosen hospice care. So I was literally working on paintings right there next to her. Right. That was the reality now. I took a leave of absence from teaching because I was not in the right headspace. Mm-hmm. I was angry. I would see my students and they would act up and it was a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, they have their mom, she's healthy. And you're acting like this, like it was not the space that I needed to be in. So I, I told the principal, I need to take some time. I need to be home. I need to be with my family. And, you know, so we got the gift of time because doctors will say this is a timeframe, but... Sometimes that changes, yeah. Changes. Sometimes you get more. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get less, but we got more. Mm -hmm. Another transformation, right? Another moment where everything was flipped. So lots of wonderful conversations I had with her. It was almost like affirming who I was. Growing up queer in a Mexican traditional household, you don't no se habla. You don't talk about those things. Right. Whatever private stuff you do not talk about. But the one thing I'm, I will always hold on to this memory. We're in the hospital. She was already gonna leave, and she had an operation. And um, you know, I she goes, "Tú fuiste para mí un hijo y una hija." Because we had to take care of her. I mean, and usually in a very traditional Mexican family, if something happens, it's like right? Mm-hmm. That does those things. I have one sister, but she has Down syndrome; it's very severe. She's in a nursing home, so that was just me mm-hmm. <laughs> and my other brothers. But when she told me that, it was like, like I know, and and I've and I've loved you for being both. That's the memory I take.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's sweet, though, that you had those times and that she yeah. saw you fully, even though yes. she never told you, right? Before, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And even when I was cutting her nails, uh, and and my eyes, she could tell, and she said, "No, no se quiebre. and I was like, I get chills just thinking about it because mm-hmm. I can see her, I can hear her to not break. And it's like all those moments she was literally giving me my toolkit for how I was going to live the rest of my life.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting that you said, um, earlier how we're, and it is true in transformation all the time. There's different stages, right? We go through different stages, so uh, different times of our lives that we learn new things, we mm-hmm. experience new things. So to think that, um, there is one time where it's, um, you know, that's it. Like you're trans- It's, um, it's really incomplete, right? We are always evolving, learning new, meeting new people, having yes. new experiences. And that has an impact on you and how you see others, how you see yourself. Absolutely. That,
1: those moments were, now that I see them, they were beautiful moments, beautiful moments of, of knowing and, and also what is the that I want to do with mm-hmm. the time we have? That's the gift. And so from that moment, we came together, my brothers and I, more unified. Mm-hmm. The traditions of the Rosario with the Nino Dios, I was sitting in her chair, and my grandmother was next to me. But now that seat is empty. How do traditions change?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How do they evolve? And how do they? Bring communities together, even people that don't know understand, but it still brings you together. So after that, I went back to, to teaching as I was finishing my MFA. I was already contacted by the Institute for Doctoral Studies mm-hmm. that like, we'd love for you to come up and see <laughs> our first residencies in New York. And after you you see and hear the lectures, maybe you'll. Commit session. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and I told my mom, no, no sé, no tuve. I was real worried. So I went and, yeah, I was like, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> and just meeting new people, artists. Mm-hmm. These were artists and writers, thinkers. And I was in that room. And so in that, at that moment, I was working at Our Lady of the Lake. As a success coach, so helping students to really organize their their schedules, you know, really looking at self-care for them, making time for that and maximizing the time during the week. So that the weekend was for them to to rest. And I was able to do my work there. I was also um, adjunct semester at A&M San Antonio. (laughs) Um, And those students were awesome. I love that we, it wasn't just straight lecture, but it was like a mix, mm-hmm. like a little bit of lecture, but also like hands-on making something. and it was great. It was a great experience. I love the drive. You get to think a lot. It's pretty far. <laughs>
0: yes. You think a lot, a lot. Yeah, it's a 30 minute commute for me, but you know, yeah, it, it gives you, um, I mean, I listen to books, I listen to podcasts, sometimes I just think, mm-hmm.
1: And, and so that was a really cool experience. And then an, an opportunity opened at Wood High School um, to be an art teacher. My friend had been working there and she said, you should try. So I applied. And I was hired. And this is going to be my fourth year wow. at Wood High School. I, I teach drawing, painting. Now I teach watercolor. And I'm in charge of the senior portfolio class. And that's the class that's only for seniors. We get to work on a collection of work, mm-hmm. and then we exhibit it at a gallery mm-hmm. in, in the spring. Their friends, their family are invited. They get to sell their work. And um, it just really is another way for me to show my students my appreciation, but also yeah. to share what they, their talent with mm-hmm. the community
0: mm-hmm.
1: So as another farewell. They're leaving their mark in this way artistically.
0: Also all this time you've been um, working on your PhD while also being an educator yourself and sometimes I'm just joking it sometimes an artist too for yes. yourself. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so <clears throat> before um, I ask you to talk about you know your your life as an artist you mentioned that you did some painting when you're when you were taking care of your mom. Yeah. Did you ever paint? For her, about her. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The the final MFA show, well, one of, one of them was a collection of paintings that were fragments of the letters that she would write to me.
2: Mm.
1: Because she used to write to me when I was in college. Mm-hmm. No emails, traditional. Right. Handwritten letters. And every Sunday I would call her and just tell her everything that happened that week. Every Sunday.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm so glad I did that. <laughs> so glad. But those letters were everything. I still have them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the font. I mean, she comes from, she went to Catholic school when she was in Mexico. She was educated by these nuns, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so she was always very proper.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that if she would not have taken the traditional route, she would have been an accountant. She loved numbers. She was good with numbers. Super bright. So those paintings were in honor of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted to show everyone her, her, lit, her writing. hmm sensibility. And each, image, each painting had like a zoomed in focused icon of some kind that would connect to to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had nopales because she would always say, yo soy una mexicana que nopal. <laughs> I mean, just all these little things.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I did more work inspired by her, things that she was connected to, especially her faith. Mm-hmm. And I think that now I'm much more spiritual
2: mm-hmm.
1: because of her. And I think if I were to say I'm, I'm not religious, I'm much more attuned to the traditions of the comunidades that were done in, in Mexico, that were not so much um, in, in the actual church building, but in the, the casas with the people in the procesiones in the streets. Mm-hmm. That's what I get drawn to. Mm-hmm. I mean, churches are beautiful, but that experience of being with the people mm-hmm. at their home—they give you like their menudo, their other comida—and it's just the smell and the music and the singing that—that's that has a different spice, right? Right. And and so for me, that's what's shaped me, and and that's what's shaped the way that I that I express my spirit.
0: But I imagine also the. That- the Catholic religion has had an impact on you. I mean, you've been at two different universities that are Catholic. You teach at a Catholic Catholic, <laughs> Catholic, uh, yeah. Catholic high school. Yeah. Um, so that's also part of who you are.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. My I mean, my grandmother had so many little santos yeah. and velas and just, yeah, I just feel in that space mm-hmm. still connected.
0: Right, right, yeah. right. So I love your art. <laughs> Thank you. I love what you do. I love your um, I don't know how you would identify it. I identify it as pop art in some in some sense. Yeah. Uh, so so talk to me about and it's very um, you know, uh, the pieces that I've seen and I haven't seen everything, but I I connect it to a mix of Mexican culture, a mix of Mexican iconography, um, but also San Antonio, but, mm-hmm. and so there's a, there's a little bit of it. everything. <laughs> no, I love it. I, right. So.
1: And, and when I was asked this question, I was thinking when I was in Mexico watching TV and cartoons, mm-hmm. we were watching dubbed Japanese cartoons. Mm-hmm. If I, I know, I, cause I, we, Voltron, Dragon Ball. Yep. But they were speaking in Spanish. <laughs> so right, I was always right. thinking this whole time, right? Where I'm like, oh, these are cool, Mexican and, and Chespirito si. and Cantibas, all these things um, that I'm like, wait a minute, they're Japanese. As you start to grow and you start to learn. Um, so I think for me, it's been Mexican, Japanese infused, Tokidoki, cuteness, um, local popular culture and full of color full of color especially the medium of a sticker yeah which is like there's a whole thing of sticker culture and when you go to cities you see these stickers like especially like um in Italy there was a wall filled with them and I took some with me like my own Uh and I I slapped it (laughs) on the wall I took a picture I still have it saved somewhere but I was like that's so cool. I left my mark here mm-hmm. with all these other stickers. Um, it, it's just accessible. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because when people buy my stickers, they, like, keep them somewhere in, like, a book. I'm like, no, put it somewhere <laughs> or buy two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, keep one and then, like, stick it somewhere. Um, I know UT has, I know I stuck some there. <laughs> there was other ones there, so. But I think I put one of my veladora ones from mm-hmm. my... <laughs> you know, gente out there <laughs> trying to make it right. Um, so I would say it's a fuse. It's a fusion. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been in, influenced by cartoons like the, the Chapel in Colorado, but I also love the intensity of the Japanese aesthetic mm-hmm. because it's so, like, action-packed. It's in your face. It's, 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 it's very different than traditional ways of depicting cartoons. when you look at a comparison between maybe like a Charlie Brown Schultz um, comic versus a Japanese manga, it's almost not flat. It, it, it gives you that 3d effect right the 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 motion. Versus some of the early comics are, you know, much more quiet, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. more reserved. So you mentioned comics and how um, you know watching comics when you were um, growing up, yeah. and I'm um, I imagine also graphic novels and and so you're writing this little thing called a dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and I told you earlier that I can see, I can see from the art that you produce that, um, in your future, there is a graphic novel that you'll write and, uh, draw yourself, right? Mm Um, so can you talk a little bit about, um, your fo- the focus, because I know it's graphic novels, the focus of your mm-hmm. dissertation. So it's all connected, right? Uh, that experience with the work that you do yeah. and your interests. yeah
1: When I had to think about the topic, right? We all had to think mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. They, they have that conversation with us. well What's your project? Right. What's your interest? I've always been a painter, but I wanted something more challenging. And I wanted to step out of that for just a little bit. And... and um, really combine formal analysis of of art, but really place the medium of graphic novels, especially Latinx Latine, mm-hmm. at that level of a work of art. So I would I first saw it as I'm going to be contributing something to scholarship to the future scholars. And yet there is all these um, stories that for whatever reason will never be told but those that are we need to talk about them we need to use them mm-hmm. um, and, and to see how they affect the way we experience the world all through my school um, and then just going to school like English was the language if I were to speak in Spanish I would get in trouble and all the stories that were read, very rarely did I connect with any of the characters. And and so then what is it that we're doing as a, as a reader? Because I love reading. I love picture books. So do I want to create a, a graphic novel? Absolutely. Because I've loved picture books for a long time. Mm-hmm. The first book I read, that was a chapter book. I don't know if you remember what Accelerated Reader Mm -hmm. was. But you would read and then take a test and get points and it was something. It was James and the Giant Peach. I mean, my imagination was wild. Mm. What? A boy inside of a peach, all these insects, a spider, a centipede. I mean, my mind was, why was I connecting with these characters? Why was I connecting with this? There was something of the, the fact that it was this leaving... This sense of adventure, this unknown and difference of these characters. And they were all together going through all these different trials.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I'm never going to forget it. That was the first book. I was drawn to the visuals of it. And it wasn't illustrated all the way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it was just some other, every other couple of pages, it would have some drawings and I would look at them and I was like, wow. And then when I saw the movie, it was like, you know, an explosion. Um, So when I had to think about it, what I wanted to sit with for a couple of years, I was like, I love superhero stories, more focused on Latinx, the stories that I relate to and that they activate a sense of empathy. Those are the ones I wanted to
0: Right. And that um, is something, obviously, it's not a new genre, but the... The topic, the thematics, um, you know, that are found in comics are changing and are including, uh, um, are including BIPOC, you know, characters mm-hmm. and, and, and even, you know, Borderlands um, uh Uh, topics and, and really seeing, you know, like the hero that we've always had, the imperfect hero, El Chapulín Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're seeing uh, now other types of heroes, right? Right. Um, You mentioned earlier that you do uh, Tales from La Vida from Frederick Aldamba, but also like the Chupacabra, right? And he has a a book, children's book for that. But the idea is, is that this... Um, heroes that already exist in our culture, right, can be um, used to tell a story. Can be used to really um, provide this cultural connection to mm-hmm. to um, to our community, and also push those boundaries, right? Of um, I don't know what aesthetics mean. What traditional graphic novels do? Uh, what What have you seen in terms of that sort of difference or the the genre itself?
1: I think it's um, stories that they're they're intense stories, and I feel that when you have the graphic and the text, it gives you a different experience of it versus a chapter book with no images, right? And why um, have we departed from that? And why does the picture book end when you're a little kid and then at some point someone says no chapter books from here on until college? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And and why are they a sign of just uh, someone that's infantile, right? Mm -hmm. The power of an image and the power of the text combined opens up a different faculty within us that we have to negotiate a lot of different things at the same time. What is the image saying within itself? Mm -hmm. What are the words saying? What kind of font? What kind of language? Is it mixed? Because if it's mixed, then I have to activate something different in my brain to try to get sense out of it. When I see the idealized forms of figures in comics early on, I write about in my dissertation on how there's, like, teams of artists, but it's, like, assembly line animators that are all drawing the same kind of, like, graphic. Mm. And it's a repetitive pattern. The The male form is very muscular, it's very thin, and it it, it has certain conventions mm-hmm. of, of shape and line. The female body, I mean thin waist, very sexualized or over-sexualized. So how they're different, the Latinx is, is real forms kind of disrupting that image of perfect beauty, disrupting the idea of perfect grammar, perfect language or what's proper. Like I mentioned in my story, we, we don't talk about the private, but Latinx breaks it open and it's there. Whether it's love and rockets, and it's talking about um, assault, rape, or mm. it's there—not just in text, but in form—that's I see the big difference with the Latinx identity is that now we are allowed to tell these stories through this very powerful medium of word and text, whereas before it was it was just the text that was seen as the authority. And I think in that next whether the creatives and the and the writers that put it together, they create something many times is done in collaboration. Many different hands have made the project, whether it's the, the artists, the writers, the researchers, but they're telling stories that are not easily digestible sometimes. And, and and I think that's a big difference in why I really wanted to to write about these. And and how do they decenter the very One singular kind of author genre. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, How can Latinx and Latinx stories be injected into schools in a time when books are banned? How can we teach the universal lessons that we've been given all our lives? Right. But through a different story, I can teach the story of Hamlet and his ghost through the lens of a young black boy who gets shot by a police officer who thinks he's wielding a weapon. But it's a clothes hanger because he's trying on a suit to visit his father because he's going to be free from prison. He becomes a ghost and dwells underneath the city of New York in these subways, trains with other ghosts. I mean, that imagery, right? That, that, that's a direct connection to our lived experience. And so while James and the Giant Peach ignited that creativity, it, was, it, it stayed in a certain place. The Latinx, Latinx stories take you beyond that established, not just authority of language, but the established notion of what the Latino, Latina, whatever category looks like. And it's not always pretty. It's, it's visceral, it has pulp, it has a punch. Words and images should give us that response.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is living in the world.
0: Does this dissertation have a title? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the title that I have right now <clears throat> is Latinx Graphic Novels as Forms of Continual Resistance and Mapping New Typologies.
0: Yes. And it will be done next year. Yes. 2024. Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's going to happen. Yes, absolutely. And I'll be back to talk about it.
0: Yes. You survived.
1: (laughs) Uh This is like the pregame. Right. This is like I've been chosen to go to the Super Bowl kind of thing. (laughs) So. Right. We got to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll come back and 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 hear about how it went, and also how you're starting your own graphic novel for sure. Oh yeah. Yes, yes. Hector, uh, muchas gracias por esta conversación. Muchas gracias.